Future City is made possible by McCormick and Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at McCormickCorporation.com. Hey, I'm Charles Robinson, and welcome to Future City, the monthly show here on WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. We thought we were on the road to green energy when gasoline was mixed with ethanol from corn. Well, it's still fossil fuel. Some cars these days are being powered by electricity, but the total number of electric cars on the road are far fewer than expected. There are a number of projects on the drawing board which show promise like wind and solar farms. Is there more we could be doing? We try and answer this question during a conversation with the head of Maryland's Energy Innovation Institute. They are all ears when it comes to the state of green energy. Tim Wheeler of the Bay Journal has watched the state work on producing more clean energy. He'll take the pulse of projects in the works and what the future holds. But we kick off our show with a conversation with the new director of the Maryland Energy Administration, Paul Pinsky. I am delighted to be joined by the former senator from Prince George's County, and uh, he is currently the secretary of the Maryland Department of Energy. First of all, Paul, congratulations on the new job. Thank you. It's great being the the director, actually, of the Energy Administration. Uh, I was honored to be tapped by the new governor. Let's begin with this. This show is about green energy. I want to know where we are as far as the state. You know, we had some goals that we were trying to get to, but where are we at this point? Look, it's a heavy lift. You know, we've been reliant for years on coal. We're still reliant on natural gas. Um, so we want to grow solar. We want to see wind expand. Um, we want to do other things. Well, geothermal, for example, where you run pipes in the ground, which is permanently 55 degrees. We want to see the old HVAC systems that are run on gas shifted to heat pumps, which are all on electric. I mean, one thing we've learned, any new technology is going to come through wires, not through pipes. You know, the, the time for the old fossil fuels, that's over. So the question now is how can we boost up our wind, our solar, our new technologies um, to get away from the fossil fuels? That's that's our challenge. One of the things that I've noticed across this state as I travel are the number of solar farms. I believe this is something that you have encouraged and you'd like to see more of. No, absolutely. You know, there, there are two levels, what, what's called utility scale, where you see acres and acres or large, large rooftops like uh, Walmart type things. And then you see on individual homes, uh, on residents, you know, a rooftop. Um, we need to have more large scale. Uh, I know there are a number of projects that want to get approval in places like uh, Eastern Shore, uh, Western Maryland. Um, and it's been slow going, I have to tell you. You know, there are some out there. We need a heck of a lot more. Um, we need to make this a little more efficient. 
and not have the uh, obstacles that we've seen over the last few years. Look, we have a new administration. The old administration didn't work that hard for these utility scale solar. Um, even in the agricultural community, there's a split. Uh, farm owners are happy to sell to, um, to solar farms. People who rent farmland are not so happy. You know, some local county commissioners are not excited. There's a little NIMBY issue. Uh, others are open to it. So we, we've got to expand that. Uh, actually, last year, while I was still a senator, uh, I introduced a bill to say, look, you can take six months to review these applications, but no more. we got to get rolling on this. We can't drag our feet for 12, 18, 24 months. You know, the urgency has to be felt. I've noticed that a lot of these municipal farms are done by municipalities, if you will. I know in Anne Arundel County, I went to a solar farm out there where they're generating um, solar power over top of a landfill. Is that an ideal way to make this happen or you got to be more creative? No, no, no. I, I think over landfills. Um, we think on newly built schools or even the schools that exist that have rooftops that lend themselves to this. Uh, Howard County, uh, I guess two years ago, um, contracted with a company that put solar on their roofs. They created um, a parking lot uh, arrays of solar, you know, raised uh, eight or 10 or 12 feet uh, over parking lots. Um, we've got to be creative and we got to be aggressive. Uh, we have a lot to do in not a long time. The governor has committed to 100% clean energy by 2035. Uh, it's not going to be easy. We're going to have to do things a little differently. We want to have what's called community solar. So people who can't put it on their own roofs can buy into uh, a community solar and have their bills uh, reduced, or maybe even they become owners and start to make money from it. And, these can be done in fields or they can be done on rooftops. Uh, so they can be done in, in, in downtown Baltimore or they can be done in Allegheny County, you know, where there's more land and more space. So we've got to use every arrow in the quiver, uh, if you use that analogy. Um, it's not going to be done by just doing one thing. So and solar is only one, obviously. We, we want to expand our offshore wind, and the, the governor is speaking at an international conference in Baltimore next week, where he's probably going to have an announcement um, because he he knows we have to be more aggressive. So there's a lot to be done, and hopefully, I can help uh, move that agenda along. Speaking of wind, I note that in Western Maryland there are a number of wind farms. What's their status at this point? Are they generating enough energy? Well, look, you know, when you travel to the western part of the state, uh, Garrett County, et cetera, you see on some of the uh, mountaintops, uh, hilltops, you see the uh, wind turbines. They are generating energy. Um, but, you know, if you look at what's happening in, the, in Texas or Arizona or Southern California, they have acres and acres and hundreds upon hundreds of these turbines. So... We have a long way to go on that. And, and again, you can't put them up anywhere. You know, you, you don't, not everywhere is gener generating wind. I know, I want to say in the Midwest, I don't know if it's Iowa or Nebraska, they have a large number of wind farms. I mean, you know, that wind is blowing across the, the prairies. One, you have to go high up to catch the breezes. 
And two, they're not every part of the state where it's flat or low land because the mountains are blocking the wind. So, you know, if we could expand it, we would. Um, but you raised the point of can we can we get the, the new energy to where it needs to go? And, and the transmission, you know, and the power lines is a new challenge. So in other words, if we can double, triple, or quadruple our energy, whether it be solar, whether it be wind, whether it be uh, heat pumps, we have to have the infrastructure. And, uh, and that's a challenge. You know, there's been talk of even how we get offshore, you know, through cables, and how do we get that up to Baltimore and get it on the grid? So these are, are very real issues. Um, there's a bill winding its way through the legislature that's calling for a year-long study to see if, if the grid and the transmission is up, to, is up to where we need to be or whether we have to make big investments in that. So, you know, we can't wish this into existence. Um, we have to be methodical. We have to be intentional about it. So uh, the, the opportunities are great. There's a lot of investment and investors who want to get into this business. There are inventors who are coming up with new technologies and what's called supply chain. You know, we want to bring companies to Maryland, you know, who, who can do the metal wraparounds, who can make the blades, who can do the things, whether it be offshore or solar. You know, we see this as a change to our economy, um, but there are going to be some some challenges. I note that uh, you were around, and I have on my desk in Annapolis, a, a, a wind turbine when they <laughs> proposed doing the wind off the shore of Ocean City. Oh, I'm a little frustrated with this process that it hasn't kind of come to fruition. At least give me one turbine so that we can see if it does work. Are you frustrated as well? Yeah, I, I am, Charles. Absolutely. You know, you, you mentioned uh, the past. Twelve years ago, I, I introduced the first offshore wind piece of legislation. Now, as you know, it takes a couple of years. It, it took three years and third year. Then Governor Martin O'Malley got it across the finish line. So we're actually celebrating 10 years since that bill was passed. But they aren't being built yet. Now, the original timeline was to they were smart, supposed to begin digging in 15 to 20 months, and then two years after that, they'd be completed. Um, we've heard that a lot of the offshore wind companies developers have run into some financial challenges. So we are trying to do what we can to keep it on that timeline. You know, right now, Block Island off of Rhode Island are the only actual turbines running. Massachusetts is working on it, New Jersey, uh, North Carolina ourselves. So there's a lot in the pipeline using that term, but they aren't being built yet. And we want to see it. Now, there's some people who are against it. The people in Ocean City think it's going to be an eyesore. And I got to tell you, you can squint and have four sets of glasses. You're not going to be able to see it 50 miles away. I mean, it's going to be a toothpick if that. So I, I think some of the, uh, the naysayers, I think, are going to be proven wrong very quickly. But I agree with you. I want to get them in the ground. I want to get that energy flowing. I want people to get beyond their concern or worry that it's going to affect our ocean communities. It won't. Um, but we got to get going. And it's been a challenge up along the East, East Coast. And um, even now, 
the federal government is looking at leasing even more land. And we're, we want that land. We've put an application. So even though these two projects with U.S. Wind and Orsted, the two companies that have been committed to this, we're already thinking about the next wave. We want the next three companies. We want the next four or five or six gigawatts to go. So yes, has it gone a lot slower than we thought it would? Absolutely. So we'd like to see it uh, quicken. Paul, I want to talk to you a little bit about some new ideas that maybe you've seen and you go, that sounds interesting or can we scale that up? Are you are are you seeing any of that? Well, you know, I look, I'm I'm learning a lot, Charles. You know, I've worked on climate, I've worked on environment. Energy is is a little more complicated. You know, about 13 months ago, I bought an all-electric car, which I love. Um, and uh I don't have range anxiety, it, it, it goes pretty far. Um, but there's a lot of technology on the horizon. Uh, battery storage. I mean, if we create the power, can we hold that power, retain that power, and use it two days, two weeks later? You know, uh, people are always concerned with solar. How long can you hold that and be effective? You know, I, I think some of the solutions to moving toward full clean energy are not even in place yet. That's why these incubators, like at the University of Maryland, the Innovation Institute, are very, very important. You know, there are a lot of smart people out there with great ideas, and we have to put investors together with the people coming up with these new uh, creations together. So, you know, I, I think some of our ultimate solutions we don't even know about yet, but um, it all excites me. I, look, I, I'm a big fan of geothermal, you know, where you run pipes through the ground whose temperature is 55 degrees permanently. So if you want to go to air conditioning, you only have to get it up uh 15 to 20 degrees you know not enough people know they can use a heat pump instead of a, a traditional gas driven hvac system and it just has not been promoted and we need a lot more education one of the things that's always fascinating to me and because we're talking about future city is the young people who are coming in to educational facilities and these research facilities does that get you excited? It does, but some of the clean energy, whether putting a solar on your detached home, um, in many ways has been stuck in middle-class communities and people with uh, academic background experience. We have to make a, a concerted effort to uh, work in working in poor communities you know, what I call environmental justice. You know, some of these car, electric cars, particularly the uh, the Bolt and the Leaf, some of the smaller ones, with the federal tax credit are the same price as other cars. And, you know, there are a lot of communities that have been left behind, either consciously or unconsciously, uh, where people of color have had the uh, the downside effects of emissions and asthma. Uh, but they haven't had the investment. So while I am encouraged by the people who are going to our colleges and want to experiment with clean energy, uh, we also have to make a concerted effort to deal with the communities that have been left behind. Uh, some people call it Justice 40 or environmental justice. Um, it's been far too long, and, and we can't 
have this just be in, in one class of our society. Everyone's got to benefit. I want to get out of here on this, Paul, if you will. Look at that crystal ball of yours and tell me where we are in four years with energy and, and green energy, if you will. Time moves pretty quickly, uh, particularly at our age. Uh, the years pass by very quickly. Look, I would love to have parking lots at shopping centers, at college campuses, at universities, um, with solar arrays over, over the parking lot, everywhere. You know, if Howard County can do it to their parking lots and their libraries and their office buildings, I think the state should do that as well. I'd like to have, if, you know, uh, some of our offshore wind built or close to being built with a commitment to double, triple, or quadruple that. Um, you know, I would love to have all new schools being uh, net carbon neutral. You know, they finished a school in East Baltimore called a Hollabird, uh, which is fantastic. It is net carbon neutral. I mean, they are, they are um, saving as much energy as they're putting out. You know, and and there are examples of that. We need them in Allegheny and Garrett and Somerset County. So I would like, as part of the uh, Energy Administration and working with the governor, to have more samples out there that people can say, you know what, this is doable. You know, a, a lot of people, and I'll end on this, Charles. You know, they like to stay in their comfort zone, and sometimes to do something differently, uh, do a different architecture or different building. They aren't used to it. But once they've done it once or they've done it twice, I don't think they'll go back. So we got to get more people, whether it's solar, whether it's geothermal, whether it's heat pumps, whatever, to start doing business differently. And at the same time, it's going to create new jobs and new industries that will benefit our state. That's Paul Pensky. He's the director of the Maryland Department of Energy. And uh, we look forward to uh, hearing and seeing your dreams come true. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure working with WYPR. Thanks, Paul Pensky, Director of the Maryland Energy Administration. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. We don't want you to go anywhere. In our next segment, Tim Wheeler of the Bay Journal will tell us about projects the state has on the drawing board as Maryland tries to meet a goal of winning itself off of fossil fuel. We'll hear his assessment when we come back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. Tim Wheeler has been looking at the pace of creating green energy in the state. Here's our conversation. I am delighted to be joined by Tim Wheeler of the Bay Journal. First of all, Tim, thanks once again for joining Future City. My pleasure, Charles. So let's begin with this. This show is about green energy. Uh, the state has 
mandated that there be uh, clean energy in the state, and the and the date is coming near. <laughs> I don't know if we're there yet. Uh, can you give us a kind of a, like a status update? Well, the, the state has a, a renewable energy goal, uh, sort of moving target. Um, and it says basically um, we should increase our renewable target uh, to uh, 50% by 2030. Uh, so that's, uh, in fact, I, that was actually increased, I believe, this in in uh, the last year to uh, to uh, a higher target. But um, but fifty percent is is still a long way to go. By the end of this decade, we're already at twenty twenty three. That's just seven years away. You know, right now, uh, roughly twelve percent of the you know energy we use comes from renewable sources. So you can see there's a big gap to cover in that seven year time period. I don't know about you, Tim, but um, I remember when they set this goal, and now I'm just wondering: are we are we going to get any closer to it? Because there's so many moving targets. It's it's a good question. I mean, you know, the the there's sort of two things going on here. There's the plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, uh, which sort of drives the uh, renewable energy goal. Uh, because in order to reduce those, you have to replace that energy in a lot of cases with something else. You can't conserve your way completely to reducing greenhouse gases and still have society function. Um, so uh, part of the problem is, is you know, you're basically having to completely change your energy infrastructure, the way in which society gets its power and, and operates, uh, going from a, a fossil fuel generated uh, economy to one that, that uh, relies on renewable energy. And in order to do that requires uh, a lot of change, a lot of projects, and uh, it takes a long time. The bigger the project, the more debate and study it takes before it can get off the ground. And uh, and they also need uh, some incentives. Uh, they're creeping closer. Um, you know, we have two big offshore wind projects that are still pending off of uh, Maryland's coast. Uh, that would provide a, a bump in uh, in our renewable energy generation. Um, we've been sort of bypassed or leapfrogged over by Virginia, which already has a, a couple of turbines offshore there and is moving forward with some projects. But uh, but they're still in the in the pipeline. One of the things that I am very much aware is this whole idea of in those early days. They talked about electric cars. We're farther along than we have ever been. But we're at this almost uh, tipping point, are we not? Where half of the world knows that you can still buy a gas-powered engine car. But the car companies are telling us we're making only electric cars in the future. Talk about that, if you will. There's been a, a real growth in, in electric vehicle usage. It's still a very small percentage of all the new car sales out there. Part of the problem, uh, you know, the hang-up is that uh, they still cost a lot, and a lot more than uh, your average internal combustion engine vehicle. Um, but the, the push is on, and, and the America, America's automakers, Detroit, has committed to uh, producing the majority of its vehicles uh, using electric power. A lot of this is driven, again, by, by federal policy, but also by uh, the California uh, standards. Uh, California recently, just last year, set a goal to have all new vehicles in that state 
be electric by 2035, which sounds like a long ways off. But as we talked about how slow things take to, to happen, that's just around the corner. And Maryland is one of the 16 or 17 states that participates in the clean car program that California leads the way on. And uh, the Moore administration, the new governor, just uh, you know recently committed the state to that goal, to get to 2035 all-electric new cars. Uh, that's going to require an awful lot of charging uh, infrastructure be put around the state there. And, and you know, for it to really catch on, every state is going to have to provide charging infrastructure, something that some states are very, very much not doing right now. Uh, so, you know, if you want to drive a, a vehicle, they the best ones, the Teslas and, and those kind get you 200, 200 plus mile range. But, you know, that will get you out of state. But you, you need to charge somewhere out there uh, in order to get across country. The other part, I think, is interesting to me is the price point. I think the average price point for the Teslas or the high-end hybrids is about sixty grand. I'm right. sorry, that seems to be a lot of money to me. Am I missing something again? Well, they do provide some tax uh, breaks for you to buy those, but they're not going to knock it down more than about seven thousand dollars. So, so you're still talking fifty plus, uh, you know, for a for a new electric vehicle. Uh, the ones that have really grab people's attentions, the Teslas and, and those types tend to be on the more luxury side. Um, there are some that are, you know, down around 40,000. But again, you think about it, your average internal combustion uh, sedan is, you know, is under 30. So you're, there's at least a, a $10,000 price difference there. One thing to consider is that maintenance of electric vehicles tends to be uh, lower. You don't have fuel costs. Uh, you do you, you do pay your power bill, so that's you know something to consider. More people are interested in it, but still a minority of the of the folks out there. And that one of the issues with this is is one of equity. Can we ensure that everyone is going to be able to take advantage of these benefits of a of a green economy? And Tim, I know you you think long term like I do. What do we do with all these combustion cars if we're going to go to these electric cars? Well, the, I mean, they'll get uh, retired over time, just the same way we saw, um, you know, cars became cleaner in our lifetime. You know, cars that your, your parents and my parents drove did not have catalytic converters on them, for instance. And so, you know, you remember seeing all the smoke belch out of the buses and out of the cars. Uh, they, they don't do that anymore. That was clean. And it took a, a period of time as the old cars uh, gradually uh, rusted out or, or, or got replaced by people who finally wanted a, a shiny new one. And we'll see some of the same with this. Um, the economic incentives, the tax breaks for buying the cars provides a bit of a boost. Uh, the more you know, you see the cars on the street and the more your neighbors talk about them, the more likely uh, you are the next time you're gonna go to shopping, car shopping, you'll consider them. And that's, that's sort of how it's gonna happen, but it's gonna take time. It's gonna take time. People, you know, care about the environment uh, and they, you know, the majority of Americans now, I think, really understand that climate change is real and most want to see more done to, to address it as they experience the extremes of drought and, and intense storms. But, but, you know, there's also pocketbook issues you have to consider. Well, speaking of climate change, I think we have crossed over, at least in this state, that point where the idea of climate change is real. And that we see it manifests itself in the extremes. Am I missing something there? 
No, not at all. I mean, I think the uh, temperatures are, are rising generally. Um, there are more extreme storms. I mean, I, uh, I live in uh, Catonsville, just down the road from Ellicott City. Those two intense thousand-year storms that hit Ellicott City and, and just devastated it two years apart. Uh, there were very real to me. I mean, we had a foot and a half of water in our basement here in Catonsville uh, from one of those storms. So, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was a very localized storm, but we felt it. And that was something that we've been here 30 years. I'd never seen that happen before. And for something like that to happen twice in Ellicott City is, is, um, is you know, that's a very big coincidence, shall we say. I know a lot of people have kind of, some people still want to dismiss this idea that, Oh, that's just how weather works. But if we look out west, I know that those extremes will have economic impacts even here on the on the east coast, you know, mm-hmm. the drought conditions, the inability to get water. You know, I I had a friend of mine who lived in Los Angeles who left, you know, the day she left, it snowed. I don't remember it ever snowing in Los Angeles. <laughs> Well, climate change isn't just about global warming. It, it's about, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a total change in the climate and, and, and in extremes of, of weather. Here on the East Coast and in, in Maryland, um, you know, we're probably, uh, I mean, we're blessed with ample water most of the time. So drought may not be quite the biggest consideration, but we're going to have extreme temperatures. We've already seen those. Uh, and um, and sea level rise. I mean, when you start to think about the things that, uh, and storms that we're going to experience here in Maryland, those are the things that are already having an impact. The uh, frequency of, of uh, so-called nuisance high, tidal flooding when there's no storm, um, you know, have, have grown uh, in places like Annapolis, downtown Baltimore, uh, on the eastern shore, in low-lying areas of the state. And, uh, and those are going to pick up. I want to kind of get out of here on this. Uh, Tim, is there anything in green energy that excites you or gets you going, aha, that's that's something I want to watch? Well, I'm curious to see, uh, watching to see when uh, Maryland and, and uh, the rest of the state are going to sort of jump on the bandwagon about about building uh, efficiency. I mean, the uh, Climate Solutions Now Act that passed the General Assembly last year, which set the new goals for reducing greenhouse gases, they had a component in there about, you know, requiring electrification of new buildings. It was blocked by the usual coalition of people, uh, building owners and business groups, and even labor, uh, those labor unions that were, you know, sort of get their jobs, their employment from, uh, from the natural gas industry, were very worried about this. And so it's going to be a study. They're going to have to study it. Uh, some localities are already forging ahead, you know, incrementally with this. Montgomery County, in the D.C. suburbs, has adopted a clean energy buildings uh, ordinance. We may see more of that sort of thing happen. Uh, other states could lead the way. I mean, let's face it. We are, you know, we tend to think of Maryland as a pretty green state. Look at the chart of renewable energy by state and Maryland is about 18th or 19th among states in terms of how much renewable energy it generates here so far. And that's with, you know, with all the solar and the the wind that we have so far. It's still in its uh, fledgling stage, if you will. Uh, But there's a lot of things in the pipeline. And I think, you know, if we were to have this discussion again in five years, there'd be a, a, a different picture.
That's Tim Wheeler. He's with the Bay Journal. Tim, thanks as always for joining us here on Future City. My pleasure, Charles. Thank you. Thanks, Tim Wheeler. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. We have to take another break, but don't you go anywhere. In our last segment, we'll hear from the head of Maryland's Energy Innovation Institute, Dr. Eric Washman. We'll be right back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. The key to making green energy available is taking advantage of new technology advances and tapping into those who have different ideas about how we get there the one group that is actively looking to find the next generation of technologies is the Maryland Energy Innovation Institute. Dr. Eric Washman is its director. First of all, I am delighted to be joined on Future City by Dr. Eric Watchman. Eric, why don't you tell people what you do at the University of Maryland? Sure. Uh, so I run the Maryland Energy Innovation Institute. Um, it actually is a, a state of Maryland entity focused on advancing energy innovation across the state from, from all of the, the, the universities in, in, in the system. Um, and by innovation, I, I, I mean, we're, we're doing research, but we're also trying to transition it into commercial uh, products and, and, and jobs in the state of Maryland. Now, as I understand it, um, there are there's this kind of push, and our show is about green energy to find new ways to create energy. Talk a little bit about the types of people who are both coming to you and the types of people you're trying to encourage. Well, we're really trying to encourage, again, this institute is more focused on on the the academic side. We we have a lot of of really leading energy research um, in the state of Maryland, and particularly the University of Maryland College Park, where I am, uh, we we lead the nation in, in what's called ARPA-E awards. That's a, a part of Department of Energy focused on trying to commercialize new advanced energy technologies. Um, and so while we're doing all of this, this leading edge research, uh, the, the idea was that we can't just do the research and then license it to companies like in other countries and other regions, but actually how can we turn that into economic development for the state of Maryland? And so we're spinning off companies um, to advance that technology. And it really covers the spectrum, uh, a big focus on, on, on batteries for energy storage, electric vehicles, grid storage, um, solar energy, fuel cells, a whole variety of energy technologies, including energy efficiency for buildings. What would people be surprised about the stuff that you're getting in the door, if you will? I, I think most people really don't realize how well we are doing in the energy research space. We, we as I said, we we are in the top three in, in the Department of Energy awards from this this agency, RPE, 
um, since I've been at the University of Maryland in 2009, and, and the agency just formed, by the way, that same year, we've brought in over 41 awards for $117 million. I mean, the we we are up there. The We are tied with MIT at Georgia Tech and University of Maryland. That's our ranking in, in the country. Well, that puts you in pretty rarefied air, as I like to say. <laughs> I want to also ask you, you know, one of the things you're trying to do, or at least are doing, is to fund startups. What kind of grants are you giving out and what kind of criteria are you using to get to that? So all of that research, again, it's university research, and, and that's typically focused on we're going to do some great work in the lab. We're going to publish a, a paper in a scientific journal, things of that nature, right? But, you know, for us to have economic impact, you actually have to file a patent and then you have to start up a company. And that's going to take that patent to technology and provide a, a, a prototype or something and go out and raise VC funding to to really you know accelerate uh, that technology towards commercialization. So our focus is that latter part. Um, we are, 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 you know, any any of the academic institutions in the state and, and we funded spinoff companies from pretty much every single one of them. Uh, they apply for a seed grant. We we provide these every year. They are about $100,000 for a phase one and $200,000 for a phase two. The The only requirement is it has to be a university spinoff uh, participating in that proposal. Um, and there has to be patented technology, right, that they're trying to, to commercialize. And then what we're evaluating is, you know, will this, you know, be the next big thing? Um, is this really going to be a breakthrough? Uh, and what's the commercial potential? If we give you know the hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars to this university company partnership, will they be able to take it to a level that then you know the the venture capitalists will come and say, you know what, this is great. Now let's invest in millions. I know that sounds pretty good to you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me drill down on this idea. The state has a goal set for getting to clean energy, but getting to green energy, that's not really a goal, but as much as an, an idea that they want to bring to fruition. How close are we to either finding new technologies, new methodologies of getting us to green energy? Well, I mean, I, you know, it's a very big issue and, and and a very broad answer. And and I probably couldn't answer all of it in the time frame of this, 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 but I'll give you one example. Okay. So one of the companies or one of the technologies I developed was an advanced, we call a solid state battery technology. And that was funded through, again, this DOE RPE, but also other multiple Department of Energy grants. Okay. Uh, that was one of the seed grant winners. Um, and, and what the focus was there was not making the battery better, but with the packaging that it goes into. So it became a product that then the VC companies could invest in. We had our first seed round and that raised $8 million. And then we have a series A round, which closed last year. And that, now we're up to over $40 million in private VC funding. The company is just up the road in Beltsville, has uh, uh, 60 employees at 20,000 square foot manufacturing facility. So Green energy, well, it depends. Is this green energy that we're, let's say, buying solar panels from China, or is this green energy where we're building a battery company in the state of Maryland that will then go into making those solar panels able to power the grid um, at your home, but at the same time have the economic benefit of, of manufacturing in the state? 
I know a lot of people will be listening to this and going, well, that sounds great. But what is it going to get to me, the consumer, who's trying to reduce their energy costs? Right now, if you're talking about, you know, what's on the market today, that that's a little bit different. We're trying to make the next generation, right? So that's why it's more of a, you know, university affiliated type institute. We do partner with the Maryland Clean Energy Center. Um, Maryland Clean Energy Center and the Institute are integrated in, in the legislation that created it. They focus more on the financing and deployment of existing technology. And so, you know, the state of Maryland has set up very uh, ambitious goals for reducing the, its carbon footprint, for, for making more and more green energy on our grid um, and in our homes, okay? And so it's just a matter of time frame. You know, do you want to deploy what is currently available or do you want to advance to the next generation, which is more economically favorable, right? So current technology is 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 becoming main is mainstream, I should say, and it is comparable in cost to some of the older stuff. OK, but the next generation is going to be even more financially beneficial, lower cost and higher performance. And so, you know, it's 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 a constant race. And we're always racing to be the best. And so we're trying to take what is absolutely the best and bring it to market. It's not something that you're necessarily going to buy tomorrow, but you might buy, you know, three years, five years from now, and it'll be a better option than what's currently available today. I know as you are walking around the campus, you're probably seeing not just the future, but those future students who you go, this person is onto something. Tell me one of those aha moments, if you will, as you're walking around and you're thinking, aha, he has or she has an idea. Well, I mean, we, we, we see students like that all the time. They, they really are, are um, motivated by sustainability, by the impact of climate change. I can't tell you how many students want to come and take my courses, work in my research group. You know, it's, it's great. And I, I see some of the, the brightest and the best. And I can say that one of the, the uh, um, opportunities has been, in fact, to, to take them and have some of them ultimately graduate and go into my companies. So the, the CTO of my battery company is my former student, right? So that aha moment, they have it. Um, and, and I'm here to help them make that a actual career move for them. Um, and so that they can help impact uh, the future. You're kind of like this quiet little agency with this huge engine that's burning, if you will. How do you see the future as you're going forward in this process? You really, you know, I, 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 there's been a lot of, of I, I don't say political discussion, but, but, but about, you know, Politics, et cetera, about you know how you know whether energy is is or is always going to be tied to the past, or whether it's going to move forward into something new for and better for the future. And and I think that argument is finally being won that it there is better technology, it is the future. Um, and now the question is how do we actually make that economical and and actually you know create companies and jobs out of it, right? So. We're not necessarily tied to always, you know, burning fossil fuels, the solar, the wind, um, all of these technologies are, are coming up and becoming actually less expensive than conventional technologies. So now, you know, we want to, for example, if you're going to use solar wind, if you don't have a battery, how do you provide the power when the wind's not blowing or the sun's not shining, right? They're, they're all integrated together as a system, um, and we have to have all aspects of it. And it's not just the power generation and storage. 
it's the energy efficiency. You know, our buildings have to be insulated. We have to have better windows and 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 things of that nature, so that we're not losing um, that energy in in heating and cooling. Better uh, going to geothermal heating and cooling instead of just basic uh, you know gas furnace type things. So the technology is continually evolving. It's making us more efficient. It's reducing our carbon footprint, and at the same time, it it is the the growth industry of the future. That's Dr. Eric Watchman. Tell everybody where they can find your material online, if you will. Sure. So uh, come look us up at www.energy.umd.edu. Once again, thank you for giving us your insight on the future of green energy. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dr. Eric Watchman. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City on 88.1 WYPR. The creation of green energy may not be around the corner, but our guests today have shown us a path to getting to clean energy. Will we be able to get rid of fossil fuel? Well, no. But like the automobile, which replaced the horse and buggy and other technologies, the change is over the horizon. What makes this an exciting time is we're on the cusp of a revolution which will change society. I am also worried that marginalized communities who don't have the means to take advantage of these new innovations will be left behind. To all the creators of green energy, make your ideas accessible to all and not just a few. Thank you to today's guests for sharing their expertise and allowing us to hear their knowledge. To find out more about our guests, please visit the Future City web link on the WYPR webpage. Future City is produced and edited by Spencer Bryant. You can listen to extended conversations with all of our guests and find out more about them by visiting the WYPR.org webpage and search for Future City. We welcome your feedback, and you can email us with your thoughts and questions about the show at Future City, that's one word, at WYPR.org. Until next time, I'm Charles Robinson for 88.1 WYPR and my producer Spencer Bryant and everyone who makes Future City possible. We hope your dreams of tomorrow become a reality. I'm your host, Charles Robinson. Future City is made possible by McCormick and Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at McCormickCorporation.com.